Well, 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 we're we're back for episode nine. Somehow we've made it over two months with this thing. I mean, color me surprised. But welcome back to the Three Studios of Basketball podcast with with myself, Brady Peterson, Eric Bugard, and Mason Asher. Um, we got a real good one today. Um, we're gonna we're gonna go in a little bit of reverse order today. We're gonna start with some high school stuff because uh, it seems as if the high school season is coming to an end. Um, and the last thing we really got to talk about is the Minnesota State tournament, which I'm sure Eric has a lot of thoughts to to share with us, as as I'm sure he always does. Um, but so we'll start with that and I'll just like give you the floor, Eric, and just tell me what you thought of the old Minnesota high school state tournament. It was a lot of fun to be there. It's fun to be in the barn. It was fun to see the fan turnout in terms of the games. I'm going to be really honest and this is no disrespect, but one, a went basically how we expected one, a to go Mountner and Buell from the start of the season to now they have the most talent. They're the deepest team. Um, I guess the only question was they had been there 12 the last 13 years at state and this was their first day title. So it kind of felt like if you were going to get one, they were going to get it this year. They lived up to those expectations. Jordan Vujic, Hallie Savala, and Sage Gagno. In 1A, that trio is just unstoppable. So they, it was good for them. 2A, while there was fireworks in 2A, it literally went the way most, most everyone expected with Providence Academy and let's get it out of the way soon. The microwave, the magician, the magnificent, walking away with her second straight title. But shout out to Grace Count. She was Absolutely fantastic throughout the state tournament, most especially in that uh, second half of the championship game. If you want to get to that championship game, uh, Albany, big shout out. Like they were not deterred when they, you know, kind of, I think Providence is kind of starting to take on a little bit of a Hopkins thing, mystique of when you play them. You're sometimes beaten by them because of how fast they are, how talented they are, how deep they are before you can play the game. Albany was not afraid of them. And I think a lot of that had to do with 6'3", Alyssa Sand, who, shout out to you, girl, outstanding. 27 points, 21 rebounds. That is when you're surrounded by two count sisters who are, you know, 6'1", 6'2"-ish both. That was a fantastic showing. Shout out Alyssa Sand. D1 coaches, get on her now because it, it was fantastic to watch. But Grace Count went to another level in the second half. She finished the first half with six points, three rebounds, and she finished with 17 points and 16 rebounds. So she kind of turned the game around there. Madden was who Madden is. Madden's fantastic. Madden's going to take over. The microwave is going to heat up and do what she does best, um, despite some little fireworks there, some physicality. Um, it never was really in question after the second half. They started on an 8-0 run, and they kind of just ran away with it. So shout out Mountner and Buell and Providence Academy for your 1A and 2A titles. 3A probably was the hardest one to predict um, in terms of you had a lot of talented teams. And when you look at a team like Benilde, they had the two big stars, but they arguably had probably the hardest first round matchup of any of the top four ranked teams in 3A. And that played out really well because about four minutes into the game, they were staring at a 22 to six deficit and De La Salle was, taken giving them the business taking it to them um de la Salle, however when you're young that youth giveth and youth taketh away in terms of that they played fearless in the first half but youth kind of crept up in the second half started getting really tight really kind of nervous not really kind of being confident in what they're running and allowed a massive run from olivia olsen and kendall mcgee and then you have probably the upset of the tournament um, first time ever making it to state, Stuartville Tigers, they go and play the perennial powerhouse in Becker, and they were down 11 at half and kind of looked like Becker was going to keep rolling and rolling. 
Shout out to Stewartville. Absolutely. They ramp up their defense. They're outstanding shooters. One of my favorite players I've seen in the entire tournament, Savannah Hadeen, a 2024, just physical and doesn't quit, hits the outside shot, loves to rebound, and she ended up hitting the game winner to give them the one-point victory over the vaunted Becker Bulldogs, knocking them off and ending a pretty historic run by taking out the three, the senior class are leaving, leave pretty successful. So that was kind of, it went against everything I've known. I've always thought experience is going to eventually play out. And the team that has never been to state before was able to outlast a team that's been to state every year by the last five, six, seven years. So what do I know? And then you get to the championship game. Unfortunately, it was for Benil. They had lost one of the two big guns, Kendall McGee going down with a pretty serious knee injury. So you didn't really know how they were going to. We knew it was Olivia. Olivia was not going to, you know, she was going to do everything she could to get that first day title. But Stewartville was, I would say, I mean, they're fearless. They were playing for, your, you know, house money by that time that you got into the state term championship your first year. I would say the, the I guess the key part in the game was with about eight minutes left, it was Stuartville was holding a 50 to 49 lead. And the next, and I think for the next three minutes of game minutes, nobody scored. And in that Stuartville went, I want to say 0 for 9 from 3. And I'd say about six of them were very good looks. They just couldn't get it to drop. And it felt like that was when they needed to separate. They needed to kind of put the game away or put more distance between them and Benil because eventually Benil was going to get going. Benil did get going, but not even by the regulars. Don't get me wrong. Olivia Olsen finished with 17 points and 17 rebounds from the point guard position. She's outstanding. But um, big shout out to Sierra Lumpkin. Um, this is a player who doesn't always get the shine, wasn't one of the big two. And her ability is to step up confidently and drill huge threes to give them the lead for good. Big rebound. She finished with a team high 21 points. It was a prime example of a senior stepping up in her very last game in the biggest moment. So Benil got their title. Shout out to them. And then we get to the matchup of the tournament. <clears throat> Excuse me. Everything was pretty much chalk once they got to the championship. It was St. Michael. It was Hopkins. Everyone kind of knew that was the matchup, and I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit. I've always said you get Hopkins one time a year. You better make sure you get him at the time when it counts. This was the third time St. Michael had played Hopkins, been competitive, leading close in the first two, but never got him. Well, I'm not quite sure what changed this one except the fact that Hopkins got just freight train run over in the first five minutes, six minutes of that game, looking at a 21-point deficit at 21-6. to six. Ja'Kayla Kraft was unconscious. And the firm, I mean, she was hitting step-back threes over Nunu Aguera. She was getting blocks on Taylor Woodson. She's getting rebounds. She's getting pressured by Liv McGill and handling it. And so you had it, it, St. Michael just absolutely was rolling. And they kept that going. You had a 17-point lead. But it speaks to kind of the volume, uh, I guess, the respect of Hopkins. No matter, even when they were up 21, your thought process is, is not enough. If you're saying Michael, it's not enough. Hopkins is eventually going to get going. And that's eventually what they absolutely did. Hopkins got rolling. I mean, Benil last led, or Benil, sorry, St. Michael led 58 to 53 with 11 minutes left to go in the game. And Hopkins then turned on a 13 0 run. And to be honest, in the second half, 
it was basically uh, St. Michael had Tessa Johnson, the McDonald's All-American, and Hopkins didn't. Because Tess, I mean, there was not as much help. It kind of came down to you're holding on for dear life. Shout out to Big Three by Kelly Boyle. Um, but in, at the end of the day, it was St. Michael had held on. Tessa Johnson ended her, like a storybook career, winning her first title. It was maybe, I think, by my count, I think it was their first time ever beating Hopkins since being in 4A. It's their first ever 4A title at St. Michael. It was a fantastic game. And, and just the the apps, I mean, it was just runs back and forth. The crowd was crazy. It was so impressive. But I also would like to toot my own horn. I went four for four on my predictions of who would win at state. So I clearly must know what I'm doing, or I guess very well. Well, <clears throat> I got to say, it's probably a record and probably won't be broken for a while. And how quick you mentioned Madden this time around. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sure that one will be, will be one that's going to be hard to beat, but. And I have um, one little PSA before we go from here. I'm going to keep this brief. I'm going to ramble on because I've talked a lot about state tournament. This is not in regards to the state tournament. This is a PSA to fans and to players and whatnot. I would like to say this. These are 15 to 18-year-old young women, kids. So anything they do in the heat of a moment, basketball is emotional, basketball is physical, None of us, I hope, are ever judged by how we respond to certain situations when we are 15 to 18 years old. I certainly don't want to have some of my worst moments judge me for the rest of my life. I also would like to give an advice to grown-ups. If you are in a position to where you think it's okay to DM or comment anything racial, hateful, homophobic, anything of that nature, first of all, take a look in the mirror and figure out how you're going to find a therapist who likes a challenge. Number two, find out who you are to ever tell someone anything like that. You cannot like a, how a player plays. You can cheer for another team, anything of that. When you take it to a whole nother level of name calling, just vile, disgusting things, you are a scum of the earth. You have no place in any sports at any level. These are kids. They don't need your opinions. Keep them to yourself. Write them down. Tell your therapist. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, we talked about some of the stuff that went on briefly before this, and it's pretty bananas, honestly. And I don't know uh, what kind of, what kind of stuff has festered underneath that, because I'm sure there's a lot more, like, deeper stuff that we can really dive into. But I feel like this, this isn't the time or place to do that. But yeah, just be nice to children, I feel like is probably the best way to put it. I mean, they're children. But, you know, I mean, there's really no way to segue off that um, in a good way, at least. But I guess I can just shift it over to Mason because I know Mason had some stuff that he wanted to talk about in the um, non-D1 side of things. So I'll just pass the the, the floor over to uh, Mason, just let him uh, discuss what he would like to talk about. Uh, yeah, so um, this past week was the uh, NAI uh, championship uh, all week last week uh, where they brought, you know, 16 teams up to Sioux City, Iowa. And they played a little sweet 16 bracket out to determine a champion. Um, there were two Iowa teams that made it. Uh, one was Dort, who lost in the sweet 16 to Montana Western. And the other was Clark, uh, who was the two seed up in their quadrant. So probably overall would have been mm, probably a five or six seed uh, in totality if you would look at the one seeds and two seeds combined. Um, 
And the last team standing at the end of the end of the weekend on Saturday was Clark. Uh, so an Iowa team brought home the NAIA title this year. Um, when I first started talking a couple weeks ago about the NAIA title uh, in the bracket and everything to do with the tournament, uh, I kind of had written in Thomas Moore's the title winner. You know, they've been pretty dominant for so long and they're always right there at the end. Um, you know, they are the one seed, uh, but they end up losing to Clark in the finals. Uh, so Clark had a really good week. They beat Campbellsville by 25 in the Sweet 16. Or actually, they beat Lewis Clark State in the Sweet 16, then beat Campbellsville, the number one, um, and then beat Dakota State from South Dakota in the Final Four, uh, and then took down Thomas Moore in the title game, 63-52. to 52. Uh, Clark's head coach, Courtney Boyd, was named the NAIA Coach of the Year, uh, deservedly so. And Nicole McDermott won her second straight, or was named to her second straight NAIA Honorable Mention team. Um, I was able to catch the NAIA title game, and it was quite an adventure for Clark. Um, you know, they you wouldn't think a team with 22 turnovers to nine turnovers would win the game. Um, you know, Thomas Moore plays a really, really up-tempo, in-your-face style defense and, you know, forced Clark into a ton of turnovers. Um, but in the end, Clark was able to ice it away at the line uh, where they went 21 of 23 on the night. Um, and they also out-rebounded Thomas Moore 44 to 22. Um so, you know, coaches preach the little things. A lot of times they also preach make your free throws and rebound the basketball. Uh, that's what Clark did by getting 44 rebounds and shooting 91% from free throw line. Uh, and they're going home with a NAIA title. Um, so congrats to them on a really, really good season. Um, and they, they definitely deserved it with their play throughout the year. And then obviously in the tournament as well. Um, shifting over quickly to uh, the JUCO ranks, um, the Division Two tournament is currently going on right now. Um, Kirkwood won their first round game. Kirkwood's the three seed. Um, they won their first round game earlier today, uh, sixty to forty-two, uh, and then they play again tomorrow against Bryant and Stratton from Wisconsin, uh, which should be a really good game. Um, and then they. Uh, would get the winner, I believe, of the Harcum and Danville area game that's just before them. Uh, so Kirkwood set up for another long run into the JUCO, the D2 JUCO tournament. Um, I think Morton from Illinois is probably your favorite there. Uh, they've been just tremendous all year long. They're the one seed for a reason. They had no problem in the first round. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out, but I'd say Morton is probably um, the favorite in that in that bracket there for Division Two JUCO. Um, I would discuss D two, but I think someone else is probably going to discuss D two, and Iowa only has one D two team, and they did not make the tournament this year. So I will get off my soapbox of NAIA and JUCO and pass that along to um, Eric. Let's go Bulldogs. 
UMD, we in the final four, baby. Final four. La, 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 la. I'm just saying, let's go, Bulldogs. Final four. Let's go get the championship. Come on. Set the standard, damn it. And it was a pretty easy win, a 20-point win. That was impressive. Is that is, is that a is that a segue into talking about Minnesota basketball? So I feel like we have something to talk about in also in the state of Minnesota on the women's basketball side of things. I mean, we can talk about it now. We can talk about it at the end. We can talk about it after we talk about Cameron Brink and Haley Jones getting the shaft. We can talk about it anytime you want. Uh, no, no, we're, we're talking about we're talking about the new hire now. And I feel that you should take us through your entire wave of, <laughs> of emotions from yes, when you yes. heard about, <laughs> yeah, from when you heard about Please. the possibilities of 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 Don being hired to now, because I feel like that's a roller coaster that everyone should be a part of. <laughs> okay, it's a roller coaster that everyone should be glad that they are not able to hop onto. <laughs> Listen here, if you've listened to this podcast, everyone knows I had my heart set on another one. Her name is Megan. Hey, Megan. Last one. But so I was told we were going in a different direction, likely. And it really, I'll be honest. I want to be very clear with this. I was not happy, not in the sense of I have anything against Dawn. My issue was the coach that I wanted, I thought had a higher ceiling, could have maybe related. And plus, I had been hearing from people like the 22s. Other like connections to the player that they liked Megan, they wanted Megan, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going off of, I'm wanting my, and everyone knows this, you both can attest to this. My main target for the Gophers is to keep the 22s as happy as humanly possible. Because I ride and die with those. Those four leave, Eric leaves. So when I heard that, it was not a good thing. Because I was like, it felt, it felt like we were a year behind the hot curve. She was a hot coach of South Dakota. Granted, made the tournament, but literally went out the same day as the other coach I had wanted. So, but got hired. Here's where I'll be honest. Here's where they a started to turn Eric around on the roller coaster. We flipped back right side up, which is the most important thing. Right. Number one, the twenty two were thrilled, and I will give her credit. Girl, I don't know when she slept. I don't know when you slept on. I would be because you got into town Saturday. You had the team dinner with the team at 5.30 with the team and their family. That's great. You were then at the barn by 7 o'clock watching state tournament game, which I'm like, I'd be tired. I'd been there. All I'd done is went to the game. I hadn't even been to, like, flown in for the day. So she watches all of the Hopkins and St. Michael game. And literally, we're not out of that arena till after 11. So I'm like, okay, there she is. Hey. I was told she was already making contact and reaching out to coaches at 6.30 a.m. the following day. Trying to get a hold of players, trying to get a hold of, you know, letting people know, hey, I'm making contact. To my, From what I've been able to confirm, she's reached out to both to all the top AAU programs in Minnesota, all the top kids. She has talked to every single incoming recruit except one that she talked to the night yesterday the, after her press conference. Girl is not wasting time. The 22s like her. They're excited about her. We, I mean, in terms of the portal, the player that we lost was basically expected. We kept the main ones, Sophie Hart, Maggie Sonano. That's a big thing for me. And it really did, when she, when I started seeing that, not only was she hitting the ground running recruiting, but she was going after the right players, the top players. We're not talking 
sixth, seventh, eighth kids in the state of Minnesota. She's going after number one. She's introducing her, you know, she's introducing herself to kids that even if they're in the you know junior class this year and are pretty far down the recruiting process, get your name out there, say hi. That's where I've gotten on board with it a little bit more because at least it's going to open doors that maybe we're per not permanently, but we're a lot likely to be open very far with the previous staff, whether for a lack of trying or lack of interest on either side. So that makes me excited. I, I said, I'm curious to see what we do in the portal or what, you know, if her recruits, the two from Wisconsin come over, I, I said right now, by my count, we have 10 players on scholarship expected when you call who's coming in and who's staying. We have 10. I don't know if that means we have five open or if that means we have three open, two open, saving some. I don't know. But she, the roller coaster went from very unhappy about it to slightly annoyed to, okay, the, I'm on board with the 22s because I like the 22s. And then when I saw the recruiting and heard how hard she's going, literally without sleeping, apparently, I'm like, okay, girl, girl working. We still need to make, now we still have some headway to make. We still got to get some, we still got to get some commits, but girl, we have another week. No, but it, she's, she, I think she's going to, she's going to work hard to try and get kids, whether she gets them or not. And before Mason jumps in, um, I just wanted to add some context to the 23s that would be that were committed to um, Dawn's staff at West Virginia. Um, as far as I'm aware with with those two, I'm not sure what Mayanna um, Johnson's thinking at this point in time. And I know uh, Grace Carls, who's, uh, you know, I, I believe she's a top 100 player in the country. Um, as far as I'm aware, she still has to... Um, figure out what she wants to do. And honestly, her recruiting has been rather unlucky um, with Arizona State's head coach retiring on her and then committing to uh, Don Westerday and now Don Zipman. So she said, so she's kind of gone through a roller coaster of, uh, of a ride in, in her recruitment. But um, yeah, she's going to help whoever she ends up going to. Um, and if she ends up in Minnesota, I'm sure Eric will will like her, um, which is the most important thing of all Minnesota recruits. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, Ayana's probably a kid that would be a, a kind of a project there, but I mean, six, three athletes don't come along very often. So um, it'd be, it'd be cool to see those kids stay a little closer to home than, than West Virginia, but you know, you never know, but just want to add some context to the, uh, to the, to the previous incoming 23 class to West Virginia, who is now kind of a little bit up in the air. Before we go to Mason, I have a question, Brady, you've been in the barn. You sat next to me during a game and you survived. So you've seen the four twenty twos, Sophie mm-hmm. Hartner, you know, six, five, if they come with, where do you see those two fitting in with this current roster? Um, I personally, um, with Grace, Grace is just so skilled. Um, whatever situation she's been thrown into, she's kind of excelled. I mean, she 34-9 as a junior in the Division One state title game in Wisconsin as a junior. Um, I believe I already said that, but, you know, it is what it is. Then uh, played in the Select 40 with Wisconsin Lakers, and they ended up winning that um whole circuit and she was one of the best players in that as well so wherever she is she kind of succeeds and um sometimes you know she kind of gets overlooked a little bit um partially because of kk arnold's in her class um and, and some other um factors as well but uh i would see her being the really solid wing like a good scoring kid off the bench i think she's better defensively than people give her credit for um i think she's really smart um i would expect her to probably be a reserve kind of kid for for minnesota just because the 22s kind of have such staying power already um, but I wouldn't be surprised if she um, impressed a lot of people in her first year. And Ayana is more of a um, a project now. I wouldn't. I was kind of expecting her to redshirt the first year at West Virginia anyway, just because she's still kind of figuring stuff out. Um, but you know, 
as a six three kid who can really move and um she's dominated some some of these games in high school in, in a way that very few kids that, that her size have in the state. Um I think there was a couple games last year where she had like 30 and 20 in a few games. Um but she's still kind of learning the game a little bit. So I would expect her to probably redshirt that first year if she were to be at Minnesota. And I kind of would have expected that anyway, because she's such a uh she's so toolsy and she just has a long way to go still skill-wise. But yeah, you don't find six three athletes like that. They don't grow on trees, that's for sure. Um but I would be very excited to kind of see her in, in the Big Ten, too, because I know she's good enough to do it, especially when she's going to be at her best. So I would expect her to not play a whole lot early, but I would expect Grace to be on the floor pretty quick if, they if if you know, they were to follow Dawn to Minnesota. And to be honest, the wing position is one we have open because you have Garden and Malibu of four. Is it Mason's turn now? Yeah. Yeah, so um... – yeah, last last week was was a little rough for Eric. I'm not gonna lie. I was he's going through it. Was getting frustrated with him last week uh, <laughs> Saturday when we were discussing about her being hired and uh, who she's going to bring as assistant coaches and who Eric thought that she should keep as assistant coaches and never. Um, I just think Bama should be around the program. And then Eric also said what he loved to say to everything that I ever say is, well, I wanted a coach that could at least beat some certain team because she's never beat them. Blah, blah, blah. Just cherry picking that. And then I got, I, I, so we have a group chat and I was very close. I was the closest I think I've ever been to leaving the group chat. And then Eric stopped responding. I think if he would have responded more time, I would have probably left, but Basically, I really, really like the hire, knowing Don, knowing her staff, and knowing how hard she works. Um, you know, she knows how to recruit and has recruited Minnesota before. Um, Eric's point to me was, well, she hasn't gotten the top kids. Well, you know, my counterpoint back to him was, well, you're not going to get those top kids at South Dakota, but she pretty much got the best of the rest from Minnesota. And there were five Minnesota kids, not, not all who played, but there were five Minnesota kids on their tournament run two years ago on that team. Um, so, so basically what I was telling Eric and, and I'll tell, you know, everyone, I guess at this point is, um, you know, she's been to the NCAA tournament five years in a row. She's won a conference title at the division level. She's been ranked in four of her six seasons at a mid-major. Um, you know, you, you obviously will have to be patient, but this obviously, as we know, isn't necessarily a total rebuild for Minnesota. There's definitely a lot of talent in the cupboard for her. And I think, you know, as, as she feels out what they have throughout practices over the next couple of months and just meeting the team, I think she'll be able to go out you know, get some players to fit in to how she wants the roster to shape up. Um, I would not be surprised at all if this is a quicker turnaround than a lot of people think. Like, I, I would not be shocked at all if Minnesota won 15 games this year and finished eighth in the Big Ten, which would obviously be a big jump up um, from last year. But I think depending on who she brings in and, you know, how well the players buy into what she's going to teach – uh, I think it could be a lot quicker turnaround than people think. Um, and the other thing I said to Eric was, you know, it's it's not like she hasn't proven that she can't win. 
you know, she recruits well. Every recruit that I've ever talked to likes her a ton. Um, everyone loves playing with her uh, or playing for her. Um, and she's super, super highly regarded in coaching circles. Um, so I was almost at the point with Eric last week. I was just like, are we waiting on Don Staley to walk through that door or something? Like, I wouldn't mind. And uh, well, I think a lot of people wouldn't mind. And, you know, yeah, people might think, okay, well, we wanted Megan, Megan's younger, you know, all that stuff. But Don is 50. And in coaching circles, 50 really isn't that old. You know, she's probably going to be coaching for another 20 years, 25 years, maybe. Um, you know, look at Finley and, and Lisa Bluter here in Iowa. You know, they've been at their institutions for, you know, 20 plus years, both of them. Both of them are, you know, started at Iowa and Iowa State, respectively, around the same age that Don starting now at Minnesota. Um, and so, I really like the hire. I think she can turn around quickly. Um, I'm a big fan there. I think there are only probably, you know, maybe one or two coaches that would have been better for the region and the program. And unfortunately those coaches are not looking for jobs right now. Um, so to Minnesota fans, I would say to be patient, but you'll end up really liking her. And I think that you'll, you'll turn it around pretty quickly here. Go for fans. What I'm hearing is Mason's going to have maroon and gold face paint next year during the UConn game and going to be in the bar and doing the rouser before the Big Ten season's over. Okay, I said a fast turnaround. I didn't say that fast, but <laughs> you never know. Well, Anyone can be anyway, as we've seen. You know, as as Eric was kind of going through his uh, stages of grief, um, yeah, as, as that was going on, I kind of just did a little bit, like kind of like a brief like dive into Don's coaching, like 10, like 10 years at her past schools. And the one thing that stood out is that in 15 of the 16 years she's been a head coach, she's made the postseason. And she's a D2 national champion, and she's, you know, consistently gotten to the postseason, which is like, you know, I mean, with all due respect, Eric, like, you know, I I, I don't want to say it, but like, you know, this year was maybe not the year for, you know, a postseason berth in, in Minnesota. So, I mean, she has a history of, you know, going to the postseason and, and winning in the postseason, even with mid-majors. And um, I just thought that that was rather impressive that she's had that kind of success basically since she started as a, as a head coach at Grand Valley State back in the early, um, right, basically right around the turn of the millennium. So that was my two cents. I just wanted to add in there because that's a pretty wild um, uh, achievement, in my opinion, at least. My thing here, that my, I'm, I said, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing, I'm open minded, more open minded, I guess now I should say. Um, you're going after the right kid. Let's, let's get some of them to come here. Um, in terms of the portal or the two that are coming from Wisconsin or West Virginia, oh, possibly, possibly, um, or could come. Yeah. Of the 10 that you have now committed, I think in order to be competitive, to make a jump, even maybe compete for an NCAA tournament, if things turn around, I think you need a solid backup point guard. I think you need a solid backup center to 6'5 Sophie Hart. And I think you need a wing. Um, I would guess, and I could be completely wrong on this, maybe the styles are different. Maybe she sees them in different situations. I would guess four of the five starting spots are filled with Amaya Battle, Mara Braun, Mallory Heyer, and Sophie Hart. That three position could be open right there. Or if you get a veteran point guard who wants to come in, maybe Amaya can up the bench. Either way. As long as the 22s are happy, Eric is happy. They go, I go. Ride or die with those 22s. 
Well, it's, if, it's nice to know that if they. I was just going to say, if they're unhappy, Eric, will you join me and don the black and gold? Yes. Oh, nice. <laughs> you, hey, you know, you know what your head coach and Purdue's head coach now have in common? They've both won a non-division one national championship, and so far, that's boded pretty well for Purdue. All I'm saying, the 22s are happy, I'm happy. I ride or die with those four. <laughs> I will go to bat with those four all day long. If they cry, I cry. Um, and oh, and the last God. thing that I want, the last thing that I wanted to add was uh, a couple of weeks ago. I can't remember what episode it was. Probably four or five now. Uh, Eric posed the question of what mid-major coach would make the jump if you know a power five job came came open. Uh, and I I didn't obviously say her name because she wasn't a mid-major coach at that time. But I do remember saying that if there was a Power 5 job in the Midwest come open, I did say that I think Don would probably take it because I thought that Don would always make her way back to the Midwest. And I know in her press conference, she said you can't really control the timing. Um, so I, like I said, I think that when that first job opened up, that was a good job. She would come back because that's where she's from. It's where all of her assistants are from. Um, obviously, I don't think we've seen anything on potential assistance yet, have we, Eric? All she has said is that she is decide or figuring out which of her staff from West Virginia will be joining her. That's all she said in the interviews. And if I had to guess, they probably all will come with her. Um, I talked to one assistant last, uh, last year after they went to West Virginia and, um, that person said that they would not want to work for anyone else, that they would always come with her. Don is super loyal to her staff, um, and the people that she works with. Um, and so unless one of them are going to try to grab a, you know, associate head coach position at a bigger school or, you know, a, a different school and just kind of want to break away or someone's going to go for one of those lower level you know, head coaching jobs this year, I would expect her to bring her full staff with her. So, but I'm sure we'll hear more about that over the next couple of weeks. And the last thing I will say to the Minnesota media, you guys came out fantastically for this press conference and you had a lot of articles, positive and negative in regards to the Wayland situation, the coaching search, coil and all that. Make sure y'all keep that same energy and show your asses up at the barn next year while they're playing too, if you're going to show up and try and get the hot question can I, can I, can I close this? I, I want, you know, I'm not going to act like there's like 8 million people that are going to listen to this, but I want everyone who does listen to this when Minnesota ends up being good with Don as the head coach. I want them to never let Eric live down his disappointment for like those first two days after, after Don was hired, because I think that'd be, I, cause I just think it's funny. So I, I just the, fully the, like, you know, the, the moment that Minnesota is, is playing very well, whether that's next year in a couple years, who knows? I will always have receipts, and I do not mind releasing them to the public. So, get it. Um, that's got to be going to the final. That's got to be for subscription only. What you that, that's all subscription. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Right. Group, group chat release. Group chat release in three years on subscription basis only. <laughs> I'm done. Twenty two won me over. They like her. I like her. We ride or die. All right. Well, moving on to uh, the old NCAA tournament. Um, whole lots happened. Um, so far. Um. I don't even know where I should, you know, ask you guys to start. Um, there's a whole lot of um, upsets um, that maybe were, were not expected. Um, 
Um, definitely not expected in a couple of cases, but you know, let's just talk about some of the, the one seeds that, uh, that fell first because only two of the one seeds made it out of the first weekend. Um, so there's a whole lot to, you know, uh, dissect there, but I think we might as well start with Indiana because, you know, we are Midwestern based, um, and Eric's already laughing. Um, so I know he has a lot to say, um, but you know, one of the, one of the, yeah, I, I want to say they ended up as the big 10 regular season champions and, you know, they lose to Miami at home. Um, to go to the Sweet 16. So, you know, where do we where do we even start with with Indiana, Eric? I feel vindicated because I've said, and you can go back on the receipts of these podcasts. I didn't believe in Indiana. I didn't think they were that good. I thought they were going to flounder in the in the NCAA tournament. They did exactly what I thought they would do. Congratulations! If it wasn't for guard or Yarden Garzon basically trying to save you, then uh, you would be even it would have been even uglier. So, shout out to Indiana. Smart decision, Scalia. Did great. Um, okay. That was okay. That sounds a little better. Sorry. However, <laughs> however, I will say that those threes that uh Garzon hit there at the end of the game were some of the most clutch threes I think I've seen in a long time. Um, especially with them. I think they were down by five points late, and then they ended up making a making a little run there to tie it up. Uh I think they're down five with what was it like a minute and a half left minute 21 and they ended up minute 21 um and then fought back fought back and then tied it up um, unfortunately they obviously fell short in the end um but i think obviously iu did not play well but i think that i i want to give credit to miami they came out tough you know they had a 12-point lead at halftime. They had opened it up a little bit more than that in the first half. Um, you know, IU, they were – that place was packed. If you watched them the Sweet 16 games, um, I think IU had just as many fans as any other place in the country. Um, you know, I watched the UCLA game the last game of the day, and it did, that was just not a very good crowd for a Sweet 16 game. Um, but you look at IU's crowd and – it might have been a little bit because their men just lost Miami and they wanted to come see the women beat Miami. But, of course, Miami beat them both in men and women. Um, the two forwards for Miami played exceptionally well. Destiny Harden and Ola Pendande, I think is how you pronounce her last name, played. You tried it. Yeah. Yeah, I was, you know. Um, they played – extremely well against um, the forwards of IU and then give a lot of credit to the Cavenders. Uh, Haley Cavender stepped up to the line late in the game. The crowd was chanting stick to TikTok. She made both free throws, shushed the crowd. I thought that was, that was just the chef's kiss on the game. Um, I'm a big Purdue fan. Don't like IU. Um, Same. don't really like not really rivalry right on the women's side. I'm, I'm fine with that. Just bas- men's basketball and football. Um, but I think Miami came out and really took it to them. And I think IU obviously was caught off guard early on. They just did not look good in the first half, obviously turned it around there in the second half and the third quarter, but Miami was able to keep it together and pull out the win. And then do you want to move over to, uh, the game that probably made Eric cry the most that hasn't been a Minnesota game in years and Ole Miss and Stanford. 
Yeah, let's talk about how they pulled out the win. Okay, let's see. Yeah, I, you know, we're starting with Mason. Yeah, we're starting, we're starting with Mason. Yeah, yeah. So, so we will um, – yeah, I think it was funny because I know uh, we were talking about when to do the podcast, and I was like, well, should we wait until the Sweet 16 – or all of the Sweet 16 <laughs> matches are set? And Brady goes, no, nah, I think we can do it now. I don't really think there's going to be listen, you know, anything You'll never find shocking. someone who believes less. Listen, listen, before you keep going and and, and just absolutely clowning me, I will tell, like, listen, be, let it be known, there is no one that believes in the state of Indiana or the Pac-12 less than me, all right? So <laughs> it is not surprising to me that a team from Indiana and one from the Pac-12 uh, dropped the ball at the end here, all right? Like, I I, yeah. I, I, I need to I need to have that out there. <laughs> Yeah, so Brady's like, "Oh, we could do it uh, at our normal time. Nothing, nothing should probably, you know, there should it was, be any upset." It was yesterday, and then yesterday, okay, <laughs> yesterday, and then of course we had two number one seeds go down. Um, however, however, um, I would Eric has tooted his horn five times today with his correct picks. Uh, I would like to toot my own horn and say that I actually had Ole Miss in my Sweet Sixteen. I had them beating Stanford. Um, Looking back on it, I don't know why, but I did. So I was correct. Um, yeah, man, Stanford just, they did not look good. I mean, you know, there's a lot of talk about you can't beat, you know, teams with two players when you talk about Iowa, um, you know, or some other teams who have two really strong players. And Cameron Brink scored 20, Haley Jones scored 16, and the rest of Stanford kind of, kind of laid an egg you know they only scored 13 points other than those two Ole Miss was able to you know kind of keep them at bay the entire game uh, again their defense was fantastic in the first half they allowed 20 points uh, and Stanford really just could never get anything going in the game um, you know they kind of made a little bit of a run there at the end tied it up just could not get you know, any moment they had a little bit of momentum, momentum, but they just couldn't get it to keep going. You know, they had uh, some chances to um, take the lead there late inside 30 seconds, turned it over. Ole Miss then made some free throws, and um, you know that was that was it. So I, mean, I know Eric has a lot to lot to. Well, say I'm going to jump this. in before Eric because I know he's going to have plenty of thoughts but i do want to say that everything stanford tried to do just felt like there was always an old miss player just like right on top of him just sitting on pretty much everything they were trying to do um and i just kind of wanted to shout out coach yo and, and that stuff because they came ready for that game and honestly like they look like the team that i mean it's it's really cliche to say but they look like they really wanted it more than stanford and like you know it you know take that for what it is but like they really got after it and honestly I mean, the way that they just kind of flew around defensively and just kind of made things happen was honestly really cool to see. And, you know, in the SEC, it always just means more. So, you know, that that still holds Pat, which is nice to know that some things never change. Go ahead, Eric. What do you got? What do you got for us? <laughs> okay. First of all, Old Miss is damn lucky that Cameron Brink had a stomach bug that had her in the hospital for first round. Because, girl, <laughs> they weren't stopping her whatsoever, and they couldn't get a shot off in her vicinity. If she was 100%, girl wasn't going to be coming out of that game, and they weren't winning that one, number one. By the way, if she doesn't shot block and flex on them one more time, I was heartbroken. Cameron Brink was the best player on that on that court, bar none. 
and she was not even 80% because she wasn't thick. Number two, Cameron Brink and Haley Jones are a lot classier than I am. If someone pulls my hair with 34 seconds left in a tie game and doesn't get called for it, I'm throwing hands. The legit was very clear right in front of an official. Madison Scott yanked Haley or Haley Jones hair. That's a foul. That is shooting two free throws while they're in the bonus tied at 49. So great defense, old Miss, as long as you get to pull people's hair, solid defense. Now, this may be a bold statement. Tara Vanderveer, I think the game has passed her. I'm not quite sure where she was the last three minutes of the game. It wasn't in the arena, because mentally at least. How do you not see Haley Jones have three players around her and you have timeouts available and you decide, you know what, let's see how this goes. How do you not call a timeout there? How and the many times where you're getting pressured in these inbound things, when your players are stuck in the corner, your players can't find an open player, you have a timeout. Use it. Save your possession. What are you doing? I get that you have two All-Americans. I 100% get that. But guess what? Ole Miss had punched you in the mouth and they had you guys rattled. You needed to be the Naismith All of Hall of Fame coach, whatever the crap you are, and call a timeout and get them in a better position. I'm not sure what happened to Tara in those last few minutes, but she clearly was outcoached by Coach Joe. I'm a fan of Coach Joe, not a fan of her players pulling all Americans' hair when they're not all <laughs> just saying. Well, uh, another thing I want to ask you about, Eric, is um, I want to ask about your probably least favorite college basketball team in the country and LSU making the Sweet 16. And, and just kind of what that bracket looks like now that um, Indiana is out of it. Okay. I have a real beg, and I'm talking beg. Utah, for all that is holy, please, God, knock them out. Because I'm sorry, Miami and Tennessee are not knocking them out. Please, Villanova. for all that is what? holy. Please. I not say Villanova. Tennessee is on the other side. Yeah, Villanova. Oh, Villa! Oh, sorry, Villanova, and they're not. No one is knocking them out, but Utah. And you have to shoot a lot better from three, Utah, if you're going to knock them out. Please take out Kim Mulkey, who wore the ugliest polka dot suit I have ever seen a day in my life. Number two, I will also say this now: mark the date, March twenty first. I guarantee you, Angel Reese and Alyssa Feely are going to get into it. Those two look like they don't like anyone else. Oh, oh, Angel's just cocky. Feely looks like she's ready to fight at any single moment on the game. Marking it down, those two will get into it, whether no matter who wins. But Utah, please. Because there is now no one that is going to stop LSU if they get past Utah. They will be in the <laughs> Final Four. No one wants to see Kim Mulkey's outfit in the Final Four. That would be atrocious likely because they'll probably be playing UConn on the, that side of the bracket. So no one wants UConn versus LSU. No one's asking for that. You don't believe in Maddie Segrist in case LSU were to win? No. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think that – I actually think that Villanova could beat LSU. And here's why. I think that Villanova is going to play a style of, of basketball that LSU has not seen all year long. And – will really give them trouble on the defensive end. Uh, obviously, you have Maddie Segrist as being, you know, one obviously one of the best players in 
when it's college basketball this year. But the way that Villanova moves on the offensive end and all of their posts have great footwork on the inside. Um, you know, I think LSU doesn't see a ton of posts like that with with their athletic. Obviously, you know, you play South Carolina. Um, but I don't think that LSU has particularly played well against fluid athletic posts this year with, you know, good footwork. Obviously we've seen what they've done, um, you know, when they've played South Carolina this year. Uh, and I think Villanova might actually present uh, a challenge for them. Granted, you have to get by Miami first, who's, you know, kind of one of those teams right now that's kind of had two close wins and kind of might be feeling some momentum. I think they're, you know, obviously the worst team left in the Sweet 16 at this point. But, um, you know, two one seeds have gone down for the first time in, what, 25 years before the Sweet 16. So I think we're at the point now, which I had been saying for the past couple of weeks, there's more parity in women's basketball. You can't just mark in the one seeds in the Final Four every year. Um, and so obviously this is a year that you couldn't do that. So I think that Villanova will give LSU, you know, some challenges if they're able to play. I think LSU obviously would be favored in that game, but I think Villanova could really like make them struggle in the defensive end of the floor. I mean, LSU has to get past Utah. Utah, I mean, as bad as Utah played against Princeton. Yep. Yeah. As bad I mean, they can usually get hot from three and Feely is not exactly a post that Angel's going to push around. I mean, she has the height on her, but I don't, I mean, the size advantage is going to be Feely. So I'm like, I'm hoping upon hope, please, Utah, knock them out, make her cry. I don't care. Do a TikTok dance in her face. Get her <laughs> out of the tournament. Because on the other side, Mason might think differently, and I'm a thousand percent confident I was now going to the final four because the one team who was probably going to be waiting for them at the elite eight and that they didn't really have an answer for just got taken out or just, sorry, just got pulled out by old Miss. So I don't think Iowa had anything remotely scary stopping them until the final four. And, and like I said, in the group text as well, um, I think, Iowa should have been a number one seed. I thought they should have been over Stanford. Iowa's the hot team right now. Stanford was kind of, you know, stru- not, not struggling because they were winning, but they were showing some signs of, um, you know, some cracks in their armor, and then it just showed in the tournament. I think, like I said, I will stand by the fact I think Iowa should have been a one seed. I think they should have been over um, Stanford. But in the end, it doesn't really matter because Stanford is no longer playing. Iowa is one seed, two seed. Again, doesn't really matter. Um, I yeah. think, again, like I had mentioned too when the bracket first came out, I think uh, I remember mentioning that I would have rather, in Iowa's position, if everything was the same, I would have rather been the two seed in that bracket than the one seed because it has proven that Iowa has an easier um like eric said an easier path to um the final four you know they play 15 seed obviously everyone's gonna win those and then they played a 10 seed and now they play colorado you know if they're the one they would have had to play old miss and then louisville which is you know definitely tougher than georgia colorado so 
I will say if they get to the final four, most likely they're playing South Carolina. Let's hold off on the national player of the year until that game finishes. Let's see who does good there. I say let's see who do good. Let's just see who does good in that game before we appoint the national player of the year in that one. I hope that game happens. That would be an that would be an awesome game. I feel like I, uh, Caitlin would I'm maybe sure do great. I don't think it'd be a good game. I think Caitlin would do great. I don't think it would be a good game. I think it would be a closer game than people think. I would I would take Iowa plus points. I think Monica would have a nightmare. I think she'd have nightmares for days of what's going to be coming at her inside the paint. Well, hopefully, well, hopefully we hopefully we have to see what happens. I will. I, say I, I, well, oh. well, let's let, let's move up to that bracket quick, um, because you know where chalk didn't hold in the last two we talked about. This this one it did. So you have the one, two, three, and four in the Sweet Sixteen, and I'm just going to lead with is it's kind of South Carolina versus the field still in yes. in, in everybody's opinion. I, I feel like that's kind of the yes. consensus. Yeah. Yep. And I I think these. Other than the other brackets, I think these four seeds were like head and shoulders above. You know, Oklahoma was right there too, um, but the four seeds in this quadrant were you know kind of head and shoulders above everyone else in that quadrant. You know, you, you don't really have that in other ones, uh, but this one I thought that they were. You know, those top four seeds should have been, you know, in the Sweet Sixteen. I thought they were the best four teams, bar none. Um, and they proved it. You know, if you if you look quickly at, you know, the Seattle four bracket, you know, the top four seeds were uh, Stanford, Texas, Iowa, and Duke. Like, I think you could probably have put Louisville in there, and they proved it by being Texas. I think you could put – you could have put Colorado in there. You know, they proved that by obviously being Duke. Um, even, obviously, Old Miss as well. Um, and so I think those four teams were easily at head and shoulders above – the others in that regional. And speaking of Louisville, after that handshake thing, I fully invite an Ole Miss player to try and pull Haley Van Les hair. I oh fully God. invite you to try it. I don't. I don't think. I don't think you hold any ill will toward that South Carolina old or South Carolina that uh, Sanford. I like Coach Joe, but pulling people's hair and not called. Mm-mm. Haley Haley Jones is a lot classier than me. Well. <laughs> uh. That's very true. To be fair, there's like a long list of people that are probably a little more classier than you for being perfectly honest. Though. Then, but <laughs> I don't have that much hair and if someone pulls it. <laughs> um, but I want to, okay, let's move over to um, Seattle three here. And I want to ask Mason about that Iowa state Toledo game. Um, I feel like that's when we got to start with uh, here. Um, and I just kind of want to ask um, you kind of what you thought of that and just kind of what you thought of Iowa state season. Cause it was a little bit topsy turvy. Um, especially with some injuries early on, but I just kind of wanted to uh, get a whatever your recap was on on the Cyclone season. Yeah, I, I think topsy turvy is, is a good way to put it. Uh, obviously, they came into the season as the coach's favorite to win uh, the Big Twelve regular season. Uh, they obviously had had some struggles throughout the year. Uh, they lost one of their most impactful players and Stephanie Soros to injury. Um, she has put in a waiver to come back for a fifth year. Uh, we will see if that is able to happen. Um, since she was an NAI player for the first couple of years of her career, um, we'll see if the NCAA gives her a waiver because she played in a couple of games this year before injury. Um, but in the end, you know, I kind of keep, going back and forth on this one. Um, 
you know, Toledo played really well. You know, they had some guards that were quick that really forced Iowa State's hand. And because of some injury troubles uh, for Iowa State, you know, they don't really have that deep of a bench. Um, you know, Emily Ryan, Ashley Jones, Lexi Donarski, and Danae Fritz basically play, you know, a couple of them play 40 minutes a game. The other two probably play 35 minutes a game. Um, you know, they probably average that through the entire season. So you're going to end up having some, you know, tired legs by the end of it. However, even though they lost in the first round, they won the Big 12 championship, which was the first time they've ever won that this year. Um, so, you know, yes, you, you lost in the first round and it really sucks that that's how Ashley Jones's career ends with a first round loss to Toledo, which it's kind of interesting because it's full circle. Cause that's where Finley got his, um, you know, coaching start was at Toledo. This was his first coaching job, um, or head coaching job, um, so, yeah, for Iowa State, it, it was up and down. I think, you know, in the end, they can look back and say that they did something that no team in Iowa State history had ever done before. Um, they did have a couple of losses here and there that were kind of head scratchers. Uh, however, even with Ashley Jones and, you know, some of the other kids leaving, you know, you've still got Emily Ryan, Lexi, Danae, uh, Naya Du. Like, they're still sophomores. Like, it's a young team and they have a really good recruiting class coming in next year. You know, you'll have Audie oh, Crooks. Me. Yep. Audie Crooks is going to come in. Ariana Jackson. They've got a couple of really solid out of state kids. Um, you're going to get another Jones when Kelsey Jones comes in. So, you know, you're going to have some pretty impactful players leave, but you're also going to have some pretty impactful players come in too. Um, I don't necessarily know of the impact early i think audi obviously has you know the biggest chance to impact it early just because they need a post presence um especially if stephanie doesn't get a waiver and able to come back um which that is even more up in the air now because um the deadline to declare for the wba draft is coming up soon and you know with the ncaa you don't even know if you're going to hear back in time and so she's going to have to basically make a decision you know, the 11th hour of the deadline, you know, do I declare for the draft and just go to the draft or do I wait? And, you know, with NCAA, it's either, you, you know, you don't ever know if you're going to be approved for these kinds of waivers. You know, some of the ones that you don't think will be approved and then some of the ones that you think should definitely get approved don't get approved, such as uh, a player wanting immediate eligibility to play because his, uh, Grandpa was really sick and he wanted to go back and play for the the college that was right there by his grandpa. And the NCAA said no. And then unfortunately his grandpa had passed away uh, before he was able to play for them. And then in other situations where you are transferring for a second time and then that's, um, you know, approved. So who knows what the NCAA is going to do. Um, in short, I think it was a solid Iowa State season. You know, they probably fell short of a couple of their goals, but again, they won their first Big 12 championship. You know, they'll have some rings. Um, but I don't think this is, you know, an end of an era. I think they're going to be right back there fighting for another Big 12 championship next year with all the talent they have coming back as well. Uh, but it does suck that that is how um, you know, Ashley Jones ended her career.
However, you know, she, she is one of the best players in NCAA history. You know, she scored over 3,000 points. Like, her name is going to be there among the very greatest for the rest of her life. And uh, then I, just to finish up with this region, um, I'm going to ask the same kind of question I did in South Carolina's bracket and just say, is it kind of UConn versus the field here? Or do you think that Tennessee, be. Virginia They're Tech, and Ohio State got a shot? Virginia Tech's the one seed. It shouldn't be. UConn are the two seed. You are two seed for a reason. You got your AFF have handed to you multiple times. Paige ain't there. Go away, UConn. I mean, but they're also like not healthy like all year, and now they're healthy, so they're really good again. Paige ain't back. I UConn's probably the favorite, but I don't think they're necessarily the favorite because they're the better team. I think they're the favorite simply because the name is UConn across the jersey. I think Virginia Tech is the one seed, and when you're the one seed, one is better than two. You're the favorite until you're knocked out. What if UConn's just yeah. better than them? Yeah, yeah I think I, I think on a neutral side, I think UConn is probably better. Uh, but in the same way, you know, I think Ohio State looks obviously better than Baylor. Baylor made 12 threes against UConn. Like, if, if UConn's defense on the perimeter allows Ohio State to get going from, you know, shooting from long range, then I think they could pose a pretty big problem to um, UConn. Now, I don't think that Ohio State's going to win. I don't think it's going to be particularly probably close. However, Ohio State has been playing pretty good. North Carolina was no slouch, and they took them down last round. Um, but I, I still think that Virginia Tech can um, pose a few problems for UConn as well. Um, you know, they kind of have all all the ingredients of what you look for in a Final Four team. Uh, you know, they have a lot of veterans on their team, which is going to be key. Um, they have solid guard play they have some good shooters uh, and their defense is really good too and then they have two girls that can really really score the basketball um and Giorgio more and uh, elizabeth kitley um so if if it does end up being virginia tech and yukon i think yukon would probably the books would probably favor yukon but i would not be shocked to see um Virginia Tech make it through. However, the other thing that's kind of holding Virginia Tech back is now they have to go away from home. So they just beat South Dakota State, who's a good, very good team, probably the best ninth seed in the tournament. They just beat them at home, but now they have to go away from home. And Virginia Tech hasn't been great away from home this year. Um, you know, it's not going to be it's not going to be a road game or anything anymore. Um, but we'll see how their play translates over to a neutral site. Um, Neutral side games. I would be especially you know, across the country. My only thing with UConn though is, I mean, I remember I think it was just last year. If UConn doesn't have and people can say whatever they want, neutral site, whatever. UConn had a home game as the two seed against the one seed NC State. You had a home game. If that's a neutral site game, UConn loses. NC State was, I mean, the fact that NC State put up the fight they did on a road game, unreal. So to me. And you don't have Paige. You don't have the big shot maker, the one who lives for those moments. You don't got her. And if Aaliyah Edwards, I mean, she's going to have her shot swatted by 6-6 Kelly. I'm, if it's a neutral site, I think it neutralizes a little bit of UConn compared to last year when they were a home team of the two seed. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, it's just one of those things where, you know, I, I, it's hard to bet against UConn though. You know, like it's know. like, it's, it's just hard. It's like, and I know you roll your eyes, but I know like you, you know, darn tootin' well that it's really hard to bet against a team that has the, you know, traditional success that UConn has and the well, experience yeah, of getting there time and time again. Well, like we talked about, mostly the reason it's hard to bet against them is because typically they're in a region where they're in at home. Usually it's a Hartford region that's in their state. So it's a home game for them. I mean, but granted, I agree. It's, they have the experience. I hope upon hope their streak of Final Four, they're gone. I don't know as a fan if I can tolerate if it's LSU versus UConn. I don't know who I'll, I don't know who I'll do more. I can with either one of them. So, yeah, Eric, you you would really be really in a bind if if it was South Carolina, Iowa, UConn, and LSU, wouldn't you? I don't hate it. No, but South Carolina, who I'm rooting for in all four of them. Yeah. Yeah, I could have told you that, Mason. Come on, you know better than that. That's my only thing. See, my th- Mason said earlier Iowa should have been a one seed. I can get on board with that, but then Stanford likely would have fell to the seven, and I think you'd have had UConn, Iowa, the one, two in a, in a region. Yeah, yeah. that's possible. I don't think yes. Iowa wants. To, I don't think Iowa wants anything to do with UConn a second time. No, I, I think, you know, everyone was pissed off that Iowa didn't get a one seed. I think they deserved a one seed. I think they're one of the top four teams in the country at the time. However, with how things have broke, and this is always how it goes in the, you know, maybe not always in the women's, but always in the men, you know, you have, you know, like, oh, I wish I could be this seed. I wish I could be that seed. And then two upsets happen. And then you're like, oh, this is awesome for us. Same thing happened to Iowa. Everyone was pissed off that they should have been a one seed, should have been a one seed. I said, hey, like you probably wanted to be a two seed in this situation with this bracket. And now as we look at it, the two seed is definitely where they would have rather been. So, but if, if the game so far has taught us anything, I think this week with a couple upsets, a couple near upsets, two one seeds going down, I don't think we can definitively say anything because I could have, you know, if, if you would have asked me on um, Saturday, you know, Oh, who's going to be in, you know, the, or give me your top four teams that you know are going to be in a sweet 16. I think Stanford probably would have been one of those teams. I named. I, I probably would have said, I think Stanford's probably going to be there. Um, you know, IU, I probably would have said as well because Miami just is not that good, but they both lost. And here we sit with two one seeds out of the bracket. Oh, actually, you know, speaking of Louisville, one more time, I just want to ask Mason because I know he's a he's a big old Drake guy. Haley. He's a big old Drake guy, and I just kind of wanted to ask. I mean, I I asked you about Iowa State's uh, season post mortem. I want to ask you about Drake season this year because um, obviously they put up a hell of a fight against Louisville in that first round. It's kind of one. I, I I know you are you know well. Um, well ingrained in that program being at a bunch of games for them this year. So I just kind of want to ask you what it, uh, what it was like kind of watching them put up the fight they did against Louisville. Yeah. Um, you know, last week I, I talked about them and their shooting woes away from home and uh, you know, how they kind of play quickly and how they are, um, you know, very, very in tune to rebounding the basketball. Um, I think that Drake, definitely could have won this game. I think they they honestly probably should have won this game. Um, they missed way too many layups, which, as I had told Brady months ago when uh, we had talked about Drake 
Drake just misses way too many layups. I think we were we went to a game during the Iowa State tournament that week, mm-hmm. and I, I I said something about oh you think these high school teams are missing a lot of layups like just wait till we go to the Drake game because they probably missed you know four to six a game. They missed four to six to eight against Louisville. Probably should have won. Um, but overall, I think their season was was really solid. I mean, I don't I don't know what more you could ask from a mid major team. You know, they made a, a great run through the Valley um, Conference tournament, winning that, and then they hung toe to toe with Louisville, who was in the Final Four last year. They're in the Sweet Sixteen this year. Um, you know, they proved that they can hang with teams. You know, on a national stage. I don't really think that's going to go anywhere anytime soon. You know, they've got some really good recruits coming in in the 23 class. Um, they are reloading. They do lose Maggie Bear and Sarah Beth, Beth Geldner to um, graduation. Uh, Megan Meyer, the former Iowa transfer, tore her ACL midway through the year this year. And she was one of the, the leading scorers on the team. So to go 22 and 9, to almost beat Louisville to win the Valley with her sitting on the bench watching for pretty much the entire conference season. I think it's just a testament to how well coached they are, how well they play together and just kind of how well, um, you know, coach Pullman's system works. Uh, I would have loved to see him beat Louisville. I think uh, Van Lith made an amazing play there at the end of the game when they're trying to end down the ball. Um, up by two with 19 seconds left got an and one to go up by four uh, and then Drake still made, made a game of it and had a chance there at the end to, um, you know, tie the game. So great season for them. Really wish they could have pulled it out, but I don't think you can, you know, be mad or disappointed at any result that they had. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good spot to end at least the, the discussion on the NCAA tournament. Cause I'm sure again, obviously with the way these tournaments work, we're going to have a lot more to talk about next week. Um, but I, I want to ask, and, and, for, and honestly, I'm just bringing this one on you guys and you can say no for all, for all that, for all that matters. But um, do you guys, would you like to give your way too early predictions for state champions in the high school side of things next year? I mean, granted, like things could change like classification, especially in Iowa. Um, just assuming everything were to say the same, would you guys want to do that before yeah. we, before we call it quiz today? Minnesota, Mountain Air and Buell, 1A, 2A, Providence Academy, the Microwave, the Magician, the Magnificent, ain't losing, three-peat. 3A is going to be Stewartville. They lose some guard, but they're going to come back. They bring enough back that they're going to be good. Go ahead, Stewartville. 4A? God. Um, everyone loses so much. I'll go on a branch, an olive branch here and say Minnetonka. Uh yeah, for me, I I will give you I will give you the game that I think will be the state title game and then a winner. So in one A, I think the two teams ahead of everyone else are going to be Northland and Noah Fonda. I think that I don't want to say Noah Fonda, so I'm not going to. I think Northland wins one A next year. Um, class two A, that's easy. Dyke New Hartford wins four in a row. Uh, class 3A is going to be kind of another thrown together bracket of who knows what happens just like it was this year um, I think Esterville Lincoln Central has a good shot but I think Solon wins 3A next year um, depending on how Cali Levin plays 
Um, and 4A, I think that's really going to be a toss-up next year. Uh, but I think there's probably 12 teams just looking at, uh, you know, what comes back, who could potentially come in as freshmen. I think there's probably 10 to 12 teams that could really win that for a next year. I would go with probably either Ballard or Xavier um, just because those teams are the ones that kind of, um, you know, return the most. Ballard is obviously always going to be a team that's a tough out. Um, so I'm going to go with Ballard and 4A, just off the top of my head. Um, and 5A, I think Johnson wins. I think they probably – 5A is going to be tough next year too, though. Um, I think Johnson probably wins it. But Dallin Catholic, Davenport North, Sioux City East, um, you know, will all have really good shots at, at 5A. And and I'll close it out. I I, I won't go super in depth like Mason probably, but that's okay. Um, I think D five, which is the small schools in Wisconsin, I think McDonald Central goes back to back there. Um, they lose one important senior in Marley Hughes to Viterbo, um, but they're bringing back Aubrey Doran, who had an absolutely outstanding state tournament this year, and Emily Cooper, and they're also adding Emily's uh, younger sister Ella May, who is a very very talented um, kid as a freshman next year. Um, and I don't think that that's going to be particularly close next year. Um, I think D4, you're going to have Laconia also going back to back. Um, they started uh, four twenty-five, so sophomores who've already played in the state title game twice, and they just got the taste of winning a gold ball, and I don't think that's going to slow down necessarily soon. Um, I think there's some teams in their sectional who could get them before state, like the Prairie School possibly. Um, but outside of them, I don't know if anyone else really has a shot at, at getting those guys next year. They're they're just too talented and they're too used to winning at this point. Um, D3, I think Wapan um, goes back to state and wins it next year. I think the taste of losing is not going to sit well in Gracie Gopalan or Kale Peterson's minds. Um, they're too good to play as poorly as they did down the stretch last year. Um, I think they will probably come back and, and win D3 in an, in an emphatic fashion, if I had to guess. And then uh, I don't really know um, who else would be, you know, competing with them at a, in a talent perspective. Um, and then looking at Division Two, um, I think we're going to see another Pewaukee Notre Dame title game. And I would be shocked if Notre Dame didn't take their fourth in a row and their twenty fours go out with four state titles and possibly less than four losses in their high school careers. They're that good. And then Division One is going to be a toss-up next year. Kettle Moraines won it twice in a row, but they lose Braylon Torres and Grace Grahalski next year. So it's going to be really tough for them to um, kind of reach the heights that they have the last few years. But I think the um, Division One state title winner is probably going to come out of the Fox Valley, and it would probably be either Nina or Hortonville. Um, I would bet on Nina. Um, Ali Zabella is just way too good of a kid to not play at state once in her um, time in high school. So – I'm rooting for rooting for her. She's got a lot of um, younger pieces around her that can really shoot the ball, so they're going to be spaced really well. Um, so if I had to bet, I would say Nina. So uh, McDonald Central, Laconia, Wapan, Notre Dame, Nina would be my um, way too early predictions for for Wisconsin State uh, title winners. And feel free um, to just like clown me in like what like a year now, because um, I'm sure I will be wrong at some point. I mean, Eric on the other hand is just right about everything apparently, according to him. So I was four for four. I, Listen, give me give me all my flowers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm obviously Eric will be wrong. St. Michael over Hopkins. That's not something that was very bold of me or very. You did that. You did that. You did that before the year started, if I remember right. Too. Yep. Yeah, you definitely did that. Yeah. You, you can get your flowers for that one, buddy. But um, is there anything else you guys want to add before we call it quits today? Camera break to their better. 
She could have changed the transfer. I wish it would have been a one seed. I wish it would have been a one seed. I I see you guys are still sitting on your soapboxes for this. I think we're good then. Um, so I, I want to thank everyone for listening again for however long this is going to be. It's probably going to be a longer one again, but um, I appreciate y'all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye.